well, good morning, everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Vicki, and I'm the children's pastor here at Trinity Assembly of God. And what an opportunity I have to talk with you about kids, to talk with you about the children's ministry. And I'm very excited to have that chance because there is nothing that I like talking about more than kids and kids' ministry. And so uh, there's so much on my heart that when I sat down to write this, I, I just was kind of overwhelmed with the passion, you know, that's in my heart, the call on my life, and then the passion that's there for kids. And so I just, I really tried to hone in my thoughts and just stay focused on um, what our topics have been, you know, on the church, on, on children being a part of the church today. And uh, so I, I pray that my passion comes across with a lot of clarity and not just excitement and bubbliness, because that's just who I am, but, um, but would love to, and that you can see that, and that, um, that you feel uh, compelled to, to disciple children and to, to care about the kids of the church, too. So let me tell you a story. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, a little bit, and um, so I, growing up, I'm just being honest here, uh, growing up, I, I grew up in a family of girls, so I have two sisters that are younger than me. And we always had dolls. We always had dolls around, baby dolls, Barbie dolls, uh, Cabbage Patch dolls. You guys remember those? And so Barbie dolls. So anytime my family went to, uh, anytime my sisters and I went to play Barbies, I was the one always getting them perfectly accessorized. You know, I, I picked out the perfect outfit, the shoes, the purse, the, you know, the, the dress, the whole thing, and, and do the hair. I braided the hair and, and brushed the hair, made them look all beautiful. And then I got their house ready. So, like, you know, they, they would have their bed and their table. And that was fun for me. That was, like, the part of playing that I actually enjoyed. So by the time I was done playing, my sister's like, are you ready to play yet? You know, there wasn't any imagination or creativity or anything like that. I just wanted to, like, set up their house and make everything look just right, right? And um, when I remember going up to my cousin's house in Pulaski, um, Sandy Creek, and in, when I was a kid, and I would clean their bedrooms. I mean, that's how bad it was, okay? I was a strange child, um, but not your, not your typical child, you know? That's how I had fun, was tidying up their bedrooms, making their beds. So that just gives you an idea of who I am as a person, <laughs> as my personality. And I will say, it's no mystery where this came from, because I remember being seven, well, probably eight or nine, and working with my dad around Christmas time wrapping presents. And he taught me how to wrap the perfect present, right? Not too much paper, not too much tape. You know, you don't want any, um, any bulging in certain spots and, and to crease every corner, right? And so that, I loved that. I know you, some of you that are like, what? Um, but I love doing that. And so now I wrap all of the Christmas presents. For years, I've done this. I'll go over to my mom's house and I will wrap all of the presents for the whole family because I love doing it so much. And um, just, I love making it look just right. So, so perfect. Um, even my own presents I've wrapped. She's put them in boxes and then I'll, and then I'll wrap them. Yeah. Uh, she won't tell me who they're for, so I don't peek. But um, the Lord is working on me in that area because he called me to be a children's pastor. And there's nothing about children's ministry that's perfect. There's nothing about, um, about that ministry that is just right. Uh, so the reason why my message is titled, The Church That Clatters, Splatters, and Chatters, is because in children's ministry, there is no 
like everyone's sitting still, like you are right now. Like this doesn't happen in kids ministry, you know, and you, I have your attention. And that does that, that, <laughs> I have to fight for the attention of, of kids over there. So um, we never have a service that runs without a hitch. There's always a bloody nose or we run out of coloring sheets and the kids are crying because they wanted to color the coloring sheet or a kid runs away from their small group leader. So it's, it's, it sounds a lot like chaos, but it is so awesome. Um, it's messy, but it's awesome. The word clatter, I looked it up because I, I, I've heard the word, but listen to this definition, okay? This is something that you will hear over in the kids' ministry. It's a continuous rattling sound as of hard objects falling or striking each other. How terrible does that sound? I've heard it. And um, splatters are another thing that kids do a lot of. I, I always call kids, I love them, but I call them mess machines. Like they produce mess. And I feel like if you could take a child and put them in the middle of a room, nothing around them, Give them about 30 minutes. When they left, you'd find like crumbs on the ground. You'd find sticky, slimy spots that you're like, what is that? Um, and I, I feel like that's just what they do. Uh, kids are like that. It's part of the package. But the chattering is the most, is the thing that is really difficult because um, when you put a group of kids together, it's just going to happen. They're just going to want to whisper and touch their friends. And, and over, if you've ever been in the gym of our all-purpose building, you'll know what I mean when I say that sound, any sound, is amplified by like four times as loud. So when we have our classes over there, I have to really connect with the kids and really be dynamic as a teacher because otherwise they're going to start whispering and, and turning around in their seats and wiggling or coughing or sniffling and it just echoes in that room. So chattering. Kids love to chatter. And it's messy. Kids ministry is very messy. But we don't always like that in the church, right? We don't always like that, especially in, you know, in an adult service. Uh, we don't like chattery things. We, I mean, imagine if we were all chattering, if you were all chattering right now, how distracting that would be. Um, that's not always welcome in the sanctuary during a service, but this is exactly where kids need to be. They need to be in the presence of God. They need to see you as people that they look up to, um, worshiping the Lord, you know, praying in tongues, um, experiencing the Spirit of God. They need to see that. So when we push them out, you know, some, we're, we're blocking that off for them. Um, how do we look past the messiness then? If they're going to be in here and they're going to be chattery and they're going to be leaving spots around, crumbs, and how do, we, how do we look past the mess to allow them, you know, to be a part of our services? And I think it's by seeing the big picture, seeing the investment that we're making in children. It'll change us. It'll change our perspective on how we, how we view them and how we view them being a part of the church because they are a part of the church, not the future. They're not just the future church. They're the church now. Um, and they should be received welcomely, you know, welcomed here. And in Mark 9, 36 through 37, Jesus talks about this. He says, um, he took a child, he set that child before his disciples and taking the child in his arms. I love that. He said, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. I'm sure you've heard this verse before. But Jesus is telling us to receive children and welcome them here, right? Um, and Galatians 3.26 20, says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We all serve the same God. And some of us are even at the same level, you know. Um, we're supposed to come to God with childlike faith, 
you know, so, so they are an example of how we should be in our faith and how welcoming. I mean, kids are just so loving and they're so welcoming. I feel like um, they just warmly welcome anyone. They'll walk up to anybody and that's what we need to be like. And that's what Jesus is saying here. God wants to meet with kids and he already is. I'm telling you over, we have kids church going on right now. And I'm not sure where they are in their service, but they, um, we do worship over there, just like you guys just sang songs. We do that over there. And then we have a time of prayer where we all, I tell them to spread out across the room and to meet with Jesus, to talk with him and to spend time just them and Jesus. And um, I feel the spirit of God over there, like powerful. And they do too. You know, when, when I give them the opportunity to meet just them and him, and it's really powerful. Um, and he'll speak, he'll speak to them. He wants to speak to them and through them. Um, there's Kathy Campbell is someone who travels to different churches. She's a pastor of a church, but she travels and she does ministry at different churches. And I'm sure some of you have been under her ministry here and and she does prophetic um, ministry. And she came in 2011 and she was, uh, she told us about a little boy, actually him and his sister, a little boy named Jesse who um, felt God's presence. And so I want to play a little clip of, of her message that, that night. And so if we can just take a minute and listen to what she has to say in the story about this little boy. Spiritual awakening. I was telling today, too, that we have a, a nine-year-old boy in our church, Jesse. Uh, and the one thing that I can tell you, he has a sister, Lillian. Uh, and Lillian serves on my prophetic team all the time. She's 11 years old. Uh, and I'll tell you what, she is getting better than I am. I believe in training up the kids to hear God speak. And I think if I started at the age I'm at and she's starting as a kid, what is she going to be like when she gets to be my age? Seriously, she is a prophetess at the age of 11. You say, can you do that? I can call out a prophetess in my own house. She's a prophetess. She has a brother named Jesse. Jesse's nine years old. This week, Jesse decides to start reading the book of Jeremiah. Like, who decides to read the book of Jeremiah? Jesse. Nine years old, he starts reading... Every day, he comes home from school, and into the night, he's reading Jeremiah. He can't get out of Jeremiah 1. He's stuck in Jeremiah 1, and he's weeping. And his mom is calling me, what's going on? What's going on? Friday night at our meeting, he stood by me while his mom's on the worship team. He stood by me during worship, and I'm just trying to do the cold clicker thing because I didn't know how to do it with PowerPoint, but I had to fill in. I'm doing the clicker thing. Jesse's there. All of a sudden, I feel something shaking against me. I look down. Jesse is sobbing, literally sobbing, uncontrolled crying. And he said, God's here. I got to go outside. I got to go outside. I got to get to the back of the church. And I said, you got to watch us. I got to get to the back of the church. And so I'm thinking, we're standing in the back. I said, Jesse, we're here. He said, no, the back of the church. And I can hardly understand him. He's crying. He went out and sat on a rock. We have a rock out there. He went out and sat on the rock for 45 minutes crying because God is coming. I'm telling you, creation itself is groaning. Understand that when God begins to move in our seed, there is a, a, a like an awakening that's happening within our own children. I'll tell you, Kelly. Wow, Kelly right? is a mother yeah. of Lillian um, and Jesse. So it's no surprise to me that God wants to speak to little ones. 
It's no surprise at all because their hearts are so pure and their faith is so simple but strong, right? How can it be both? It is. For children, it's, it's simple but it's strong. And um, we're going to get into my message now. That was just a little bit of an introduction for you. And what we've been talking about is the church, being the church, being the church that matters and gathers and scatters, right? Scatters. And um, so today, I just wanted to continue on with that. And we've been looking at the writings of Paul. We're going to look at a section of scripture in 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. And some of you are already familiar with this, um, this passage of scripture. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. Um, I, it was too fitting not to use this morning and talking about kids and talking about teens and, and preteens. First Timothy is a letter that was written from Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was like his son in the faith. It wasn't his you know, biological son, but it was his son in the faith. And Paul put him in charge of the church in Ephesus. I think I'm saying that right. And um, so he wrote this letter to Timothy and encouraged, to encourage him and to clarify his assignment as the leader of that church. And he tells Timothy to refute false teachings and to supervise the affairs of the growing Ephesian church. So it's up here on the screen. Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith and purity, show yourself as a, an example of those who believe. So he's calling out this young person to be an example to, of what we should look like as believers. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. There's spiritual gifts in your children right now. And so we don't want to neglect those gifts. So that's a very encouraging word for uh, Timothy to hear. And sometimes we as adults, without even realizing, it can look down on kids. We don't even realize that we're doing it, you know? Um, and and as, as parents or as grandparents or spiritual leaders in their lives, you know, we don't ever want to do this because there are spiritual gifts within them and we don't want to ever squash, you know, the, the gift that God's put in them. And I love that Paul tells Timothy, be an example, you know? You're, you're a younger person, but be an example to those even older than you, um, but, at, you know, in, in your conduct, in your faith, in your purity, be an example, before we get to the main part of my message this morning, I want to uh, challenge you a little bit. Some of you might be thinking, okay, she's talking about kids. I, I'm a single person, or I never had children, or my children are grown and gone now. What can this message have to do with me? Um, one of the things that we do in this church, uh, fairly, I would say fairly often, is we do child dedications or infant dedications. And what happens during that is usually there's a charge to the church, right? It's not just a charge to the parents that happens, but we charge the church to, uh, to support the family in raising the child to fear the Lord and to grow in their relationships with Christ. So your influence matters. You know, if it's so important that we would do that at a child's dedication to the Lord, uh, it matters. You matter. And it's not good for parents to do it alone. They need us to come alongside them. They need us to support them and to reinforce what they're, being, uh, what they're teaching their children at home, especially when they become a little bit older, preteens, teenagers, and you know, they're starting to look to other people for approval, not so much the moms and dads, but other people in their lives, their friends, their teachers at school, you, me, Jason, the youth leader. They're looking to us 
for approval and for acceptance. And so we can really support you know, the parents through that, through that time. And when they're trying to figure out who they are in Christ and they're going through a lot of stuff with their friends, you are those people or you can be those people if you choose to. Paul had that kind of relationship with Timothy where um, we, some people think that Paul led Timothy to the Lord and then they worked in ministry alongside of each other or you know, started out that way. So that's so cool, isn't it? That, that he had that influence in his life and we can do the same for the, the children and teenagers around us. If we want children to experience healthy relationships, we need to model healthy relationships. If we want kids to know who they are in Christ, to have confidence in who they are in the Lord, we can model that for them. We should model that for them. If we want children to know how to set priorities, we need to set priorities. We need to make church a priority and Jesus a priority and our, our marriage a priority. You know, Kids need to see that in us. And if we want them to experience Christ's transformative work in their lives, that needs to be happening in us too, you know, and we need to be active about it. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about discipleship when it comes to children and what it looks like to disciple kids. We know that Jesus called 12 men to follow him, both like literally follow him, go with him, and then also follow him in, their, in his ways, you know, be like him, right? And so to be a disciple means that you are a follower or a student of a teacher, a leader, or a philosopher. But um, more than that, it's more than that. Discipleship is more than just following Jesus as our teacher, right? Jesus is our Lord. So it's greater than just, oh, I just follow what he says to do. No, what, what, when we call him Lord, it means that we're submitting our will to his, right? And we're submitting what we want for what he wants. We say, Lord, we want your will and your way and your leadership in our lives. And so that, that's one way of being a disciple. But then Jesus says to go and make disciples. So now we're disciples making disciples. And in Matthew 28, he says that. He says, go and make disciples and then baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So it's, it becomes a verb. Now we're discipling. And so we can disciple kids too. It's not just adults. We can disciple children. We're raising up these little Jesus followers, right? And uh, it's really cool. Um, the most important people that we'll ever disciple are right in front of us, our families, right? Those are the people that it's the most important um, disciple that we're ever going to make as, as a child in our, in our families. Now, when it comes to a child's faith, there is no end. There is no finish line. It, it doesn't ever stop right? It just changes. It just changes how we lead them because we are always changing and so are they. And they're changing a lot. I mean, a lot faster than we are. They're changing really fast. Time is like going like this. And um, so it just, it just shifts a little bit and, and we modify it a little bit as, we, as they grow. Discipleship for children is two things. It's intentional and it's ongoing. All right. We're going to talk about being intentional first. Family discipleship, if you decide I'm going to be the leader, I'm going to disciple my family, we're going to come to Jesus together, it basically says that our family, whatever that family looks like, whether it's a blended family, single parent family, fill in the blank, our family is going to pursue Jesus and this is what that looks like, right? You have to have like a, an idea of what you're doing. It's not going to happen on its own. It's not just going to happen, you know? Um, 
we need to be intentional about creating environments where kids can um, be discipled. And that doesn't mean like every Monday night we're going to sit down and we're going to read the Bible together and that's just what it is. Because you're going to fail at that. That's not, that's not likely. We all have lived busy lives. So um, we can't expect that kind of perfection out of it, right? Um, the concern with this is like, it takes time to do this, right? And we have to find time in our schedule to make this happen. Like our relationships with Christ, it doesn't just happen. We don't just grow naturally. Like we have to pursue the Lord. We have to spend that time with him. If I wanted to eat healthy, I try, but if I wanted to be really healthy, it's not just going to happen. The food's not just going to appear in my fridge. No, I've got a meal plan. I've got to go shopping for the healthy food, and then I've got to meal prep it, and then I've got to be faithful to it. So there's a lot of steps involved. It's the same with, with discipling your kids. You know, it's not just natural. It doesn't just happen. Um, the question is, like, if they're already being discipled now, like, they're already being led into something. They're already being led. And who is it that's discipling your children? If it's not you, who's leading them? If it's not me, who, who's, who's leading them? I'm asking you. So, um, and what, what are they being taught? You know, is that what you want them to be taught? Uh, we don't know. When they, when they leave for school or when whatever, we don't know what they're being taught or what they're hearing on the school bus and this and that. Um, so we need to be more proactive and we need to be intentional about it. Have we put any thought into what we communicate by what we watch, by what we say, by our actions, by the conversations that we have, the ones that you don't think they're listening to, they hear you. (laughs) The ones that you think are behind closed doors, they hear them. And so have we put any thought into that? Um, Jesus uh, used practical situations to illustrate and communicate spiritual truth to his disciples, right? We can do this. We can do it too. Um, It happens in little moments of time that you have with kids. Like I said, you're not going to set a Monday night and this is every Monday night we're going to meet and it's not going to happen. No, it's like here and there. It's in the car when you go, you're driving to baseball practice. It's, um, I mean, in the school parking lot. It's, It's when you have like little moments of time with them before bed. Those are your opportunities, right? To really convey spiritual truth to them and to, and to um, lead them to Christ. Um, he used everyday occurrences, Jesus did. So in Mark 10, I'm going to give you one example of that. Jesus was with his disciples. They were setting out on a journey, and the young rich ruler ran up to him. And he asks, what, what do I do to in- inherit eternal life? They have this conversation, but in summary, Jesus says, There's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then you can follow me. Then you should follow me. And um, the man was upset about this. He was grieving, and he, um, he went away sad. He went away grieving because he had great wealth. And so Jesus knew that. He knew that he had great wealth. He knew that um, that was really important to this man. And so obviously that made Jesus sad, but he he knew what was going to happen. He turned to his disciples and he used this as a teaching moment. And he said, how hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? So he uses this as a teaching moment, just a simple exchange conversation that happened. Um, But he knew that this was his opportunity to convey some spiritual truth to his disciples. And and he didn't just communicate that you shouldn't love wealth. No, he communicated that our hearts follow what we love. And this young man loved his wealth 
more than he loved in inheriting the kingdom of God. So you can do this. Parents, grandparents, friends, aunts, uncles, you can do this in kids' lives. Uh, it's very simple, actually. It just takes a little bit of thought ahead of time and being like really in the moment with kids. Um, the, make the most out of driving in the car with your kids. Today, this morning, um, we, we set you up for conversations with kids in the car. And we tell you what they learn about in kids' church. Today, your child learned that Jesus forgives me when I mess up. That's really, really packed with things that you could talk about. Um, but now, if you ask your kid, what did you learn today? There's a really good chance you're going to get, I don't know, I, uh, you know, we, we did this, or I had, I had a snack, I had gummy bears, or I had fruit snacks, or whatever. They're not going to um, remember the stuff. So you kind of have to pull it out of them a little bit. And so if you ask them an open-ended question, like for example, who can we ask for forgiveness when we mess up? Jesus. They'll be able to say that. Or when was the time that you messed up recently that Jesus forgave you for? And maybe you have to tell them something about yourself. Maybe you have to open up a little bit and say, oh, well, this was one time that I messed up that Jesus forgave me, within reason. You don't want to tell them too much, but um, kids, right? Kids need to know that we make mistakes too, because they, they, they see us, and they're like, oh, they have, they're so perfect, and, but really, I mean, we know that we're not that way, but that's how they see us, because they love us. They look up to us, and so we sometimes have to be a little bit vulnerable and be, you know, if, if we, um, we can't present a perfect image. So like if we get in a fight with our spouse or, or, or a friend or even family, if we get in a fight with them, they need to see the reconciliation. They need to see the forgiveness. They need to see that coming back together. You know, that it, it's because it really shakes kids when they, when, you know, when they think that people are fighting or there's, there's strife in relationships, they need to see the coming together, the forgiveness and sometimes if we say we over-discipline, you know, if we take it too far and we're just like, you know, we're tired and we're stressed and, and then we lash out a little bit at the kids, they need to know, we need to go back to them and say, I'm sorry, you know, I, I love you. They need to know what it is to be reconciled, to be, to be, um, to, to forgive and then to be forgiven. They need to know both of those things. And, and what happens when we disappoint them? Because we will disappoint them. We will. I will. We all will. So... When they feel disappointed, what have we done to prepare them for that? If we never show them what forgiveness looks like and what it really is to do that, then they won't know. They won't be prepared. And, and all of this is to prepare them. They need to see us praying. They need to see us reading the Bible. You know, I know it's called like quiet time, alone time with God, but sometimes we need to do that out in the open, you know? And that's why I say in service, they need to see this. They need to see us worshiping God. And um, so also, that was intentional. That was about being intentional with, with discipling your kids. And now we're going to talk about the ongoing part of it, how it's their entire lives, right? It starts from when they're, when they're just little ones, and then it goes all the way until they leave your care or, you know, if, if you're blessed enough to be a part of their lives until um, they're adults. We can't just expect kids to come to this realization at 14 and they go, gee, you know, I probably should make a decision for Christ and start following him. I'm 14, you know, this is a good age for me to really commit to God and, and start, you know, maybe I'll even be a pastor. Maybe, you know, no, it's, it happens when they're little. It happens when they're five, six, seven, because that's the time where they're learning to read. They're starting to form a picture in their mind of what God looks like. Who is God to them? at five, six, and seven, you know? They're forming these images, and these are formative times at the beginning of their relationships with Christ. 
And every time a new school year rolls around, right? Have you ever seen Facebook? I'm sure you, a, lot, a lot of you are on Facebook. They do these time lapses where you see a kid three years ago or two years ago or one year ago, and you can look at the change that's happened, how they've changed physically and, and, and where, they're, where they're going in their lives. Time moves so fast, and we need to be in the practice of preparing them for the next step, right? Say you're throwing a party for 30 people. This is a good example of this. You're throwing a party for 30 people, and you don't wait until the 30 people are at your door to prepare for the party, right? You don't wait till they're at your house right then to be setting up, to be thinking, what should I feed them? You know, it's not like that. No, if you're throwing a party for 30 people, you're thinking about it ahead. You're planning it. You're prepared. What am I, what am I going to feed them? What are we going to do? Who's on the guest list, right? You don't wait because what happens is you miss out on your opportunity to enjoy that moment, right? If you're busy running around scrambling to set up the party and they're at your door, it's the same with kids. So like, don't wait until they're 11 years old to start talking to them about Christ. If they're here at the church, if they, if they know Jesus, you know, like get that going at their, when they're five and six, get a Bible in their hands, and, um, and also help them navigate through their Bibles. Because I see a lot of kids don't know how to use it. They don't know what to do with it. And um, so find opportunities where you can disciple them, where you can come alongside them and show them how to look things up. I get that look all the time when they're holding a Bible and they're just like flipping through the pages, totally overwhelmed by what's in there. So find those opportunities where you can sit down with them and just like show them how to look up a scripture that might help them and encourage them. It begins at three and four, because I teach three and four-year-olds, and I know what they're learning. And I've taught the Rainbows class, our three and four-year-old program on Wednesday nights, for the, the past several years. And it's, it's simultaneously a joy and so much fun to teach them, but it's a very big challenge to communicate biblical truth to a three-year-old or a four-year-old um, whose attention span is really very, very small. You know, they need to keep going. They need to keep doing something. And um, so it's a challenge for me, but I'm also doing other things in rainbows. I'm equipping them with like the social skills that they need for the classes ahead. So for example, when I give them a snack, they get this little Dixie cup of water and they drink that pretty fast. And then they go, Pastor Vicky, I need more water. And, and I'm like, well, why don't we raise our hand like the big kids do, Right preparing them for the next thing, preparing them for the next class. Or when we do story time, they sit on these little carpet squares instead of like all just piling on the story time rug, right? It teaches them personal space, teaches them boundaries. You don't, you don't just, you know, climb all over your friends. This is preparing them for the future. It's the same way with spiritual truths. What can a three and four-year-old comprehend about God? Well, I'll tell you. At three and four, your kids can memorize scripture. They can. They use songs or motions, but they'll memorize it, right? They may not be reading yet, but, but they're able to understand fundamental truths like God loves me, God made me, God made our world. They can, they can learn those things. They're learning those right now. And then on the other end of that, when they turn into like sixth graders, I usually work with them on being helpers and serving the local church, all right? We're preparing them this whole time. And if we're not intentional about doing it, we'll miss those opportunities to do it. You know? And then they're like, oh, you know, they're figuring it out on their own. And why? When they have us. They don't need to figure it out on their own. They have us. They have you and me. Um, 
how do many of you know that it's very clear, it's very important to make your expectations for children clear? They need to know what you expect of them. They need to know what, um, what you want from them, like what you expect for them as in their faith. And at home, it's the same thing. Um, not to overwhelm them with expectations, but to make those expectations known. And that's what I do with my junior helpers, is I tell them, I expect you to show up. I expect you to be present and interact with the other kids. And I expect you to seek God the way that we expect the other kids to do it. You know, they're not going to do it without us doing it first. You know, we can't expect them to say, hey, you need to read your Bible. And they're like, why don't you read your Bible? Right? Um, we can get called out sometimes by kids. <laughs> if, we, if we say, oh, you need to go to church. Well, why aren't you going to church? You know, go to church with grandma or whatever. And... Um, People in general feel like they have a desire to do something significant. They, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and kids are the same way. So we need to include them in being a part of the church, being a part of something bigger. And if we want our kids to lead their friends to Christ, we need to be leading our friends to Christ, our family to the Lord, Right? And we can show them what it looks like to be evangelists, to be out there talking about Jesus um, in the marketplace. They see what we do. They're watching. You know, We just have to be intentional about it. Reggie Joyner is this guy who has written a lot of books about discipling your family. And what he's passionate about is, is giving families resources to lead their families to, to Jesus. And at their church, they have this leader of small groups for the children. And she said that the children, this is a good quote, children won't believe they're significant until you give them something significant to do. That ownership, right? They get excited when you give them a job to do. They, they want that. And we're the church, so we can give them some responsibilities here. And what will happen is once we involve them, then they'll take ownership of it. They'll take ownership of it, and then God will begin to pour vision into them, and they'll become greater leaders, right? But we need to do that when they're this big, this big, this big. We can. We have opportunities here. How great would that be? We're training up this next army, right? Army for the Lord. Now, there are some cautions in children's ministry. There are some things that we need to be careful of of doing. Um, Abby, come on up. <laughs> um, okay, so the first thing, you hold that, that we need to do is we need to be careful about putting unrealistic expectations on kids, all right? So I'm just wrapping up, Abby, because these are things that, that will bind children. You know, if we expect too much, they'll be overwhelmed, right? We don't want to overwhelm kids, do we? No. Um, Sometimes when kids say, well, Jesus died for my sins, do they really know what that means? Or do we just expect that they know and they grasp it, the full you know, gospel message there? Sometimes we do, and we have to be careful of doing that. You good, Abby? I said this is going to be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Most of the time, kids need to be led, right? In Trinity Kids, we, we tell them to read their Bible. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And some of them thank you so much. If you've given your kid a Bible, if you've, um, if you've invested in one and you see the importance of it, but um, they got to know how to read it. Caution, caution, caution. They need to know how to read it. They need to know how to use it. It's not enough for us just to have it. Our focus is on the heart of the children, right? It's not on their behavior. 
Um, there's kids who are perfectly respectable, saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You know, they keep their rooms clean. They perform well in school. They perform well on the sports teams and in choirs and stuff like that. But where are their hearts? Where are their hearts? This is something we need to be careful of, right? Um, we need to be paying attention. It's not enough to moralize children, you know, for them to sit there quietly and respectfully. I mean, but what's going on in their heart and their head? Um, morals don't save us. Jesus saves us. And it's not enough for kids to have head knowledge. Um, but what's going on in their hearts for Jesus? If we fill their minds with biblical facts, does that bring them any closer to him? If they memorize all 66 books of the Bible, you know, what does that, what does that earn them? You know, but if they have an encounter with Christ and their hearts are being pulled toward him, that's what matters. So, now that Abby's all tied up, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll release you, Abby, okay? I'm going to let you go back to Grandma's going to help you get untangled. <laughs> have fun with that, Grandma. <laughs> you can probably see how passionate I am about this. I, I'm passionate about kids. I'm passionate about kids knowing Jesus. And I didn't want my message this morning to make you feel guilty in any way. Um, you're not failing at this. I assure you, you can do this. We can all do this. As parents, you probably already felt guilty. You know, if you're thinking back, you're like, oh man, I wish I, I, wish I would have done this when my kid was like three. I wish I would have done this. But it's not, you, you don't have to feel that guilt. God does not condemn you, right? God has chosen you to be the leader of your family. And, and he, he has a plan for you as the leader of the family and in leading your children to know him. He chose you to be mom, dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle in their life. And God doesn't expect perfection. He doesn't expect us to have perfect families. So give yourself some grace, right? Sometimes we're really hard on ourselves and, and God just says, um, I don't see you. I don't need you to be perfect. You know, you're not a perfect person and, and you're not going to be a perfect parent. And uh, this is not going to look perfect. It's going to be messy leading your kids to Christ. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awkward at first. It's going to be weird. You know, like you're not used to having those kind of conversations. And how do you talk to a five-year-old about Jesus when we're used to hearing it from other adults and reading it in, in, in our, you know, NASB um, Bibles? Like, how do we talk to kids about these spiritual truths? All you got to do is think simple, you know, simplify it. Let's do it down for your kids. And you can do this. You can effectively disciple your children. And we're in this together. 